was spring break 2009, and everything changed for me. Me and my buddies were going camping in the beautiful foothills of Las Cruces, New Mexico, near Cloudcroft, and we were having a blast. And then spring break was over, it's time to drive back, it's Sunday, classes start on Monday. So we're driving back, climbing up out of this ravine, and sure enough, I stop my truck on a pile of sand, and we decide to slide down, and we slide, and we roll, and we tumble, and we roll, and my truck just kept on rolling until we landed in the bottom of this ravine. It was crazy. No one was hurt. We were a little sore, stiff. Uh, We wore our seatbelts, which was great, and we got out of the truck, and I looked up the hill, and All of our camping gear, all of our belongings for the week, trash, anything that I had stockpiled in my truck over the years was just scattered alongside these hills. And the other car of people that were camping with us, they were stopped up on the hill and they came running down to check on us to make sure we were okay. And the good news is we were, but my truck was demolished. The only piece of my truck that did not have damage on it was the tailgate, but you can't drive a tailgate down the highway. And we were stuck down in a ravine, so we can't just like push it back up onto the road because it was a 35-foot climb up the hill at least. So we were pretty helpless. We, We called the state patrol, the state troopers of New Mexico. They came, they helped us out. They got a tow truck with a really long chain that pulled my truck out, but it was pretty inoperable. And to make matters worse, we were five hours from Lubbock on a drive. And we've got class the next day. We've got all this stuff that was scattered that I just threw in my beat-down truck. And so, thankfully, we had the other car of guys camping with us. So the four guys from my car, my truck, and the four guys from the other car all piled into that one little Honda Civic coupe. Two-door Honda Civic We've got like eight guys crammed deep in this, and it's a five-hour drive. I'm, I'm miserable, angry, upset, confused, um, slightly grateful that we're alive, but I was helpless. All of my stuff was going to be in New Mexico. My main transportation to and from school to and from work is no longer operable, and we're crammed five deep in a Honda Civic on the back row driving five hours. Being helpless is, is an awful feeling. And we made it back to Lubbock, and it was, it was warm, and we were sweaty and grumpy, grateful to be alive, but overall just so helpless. And for the next several months while I was working on getting a new vehicle, I was still helpless. I had to rely on other people to, to borrow a car, to get a ride, or I, I rode my bike if it wasn't too far. But being helpless was a terrible position for me. It was humbling. It was devastating. It was exhausting, not knowing. What, how am I going to get to class? How am I going to get to work? How am I going to get home from work? And we've all been there, and some of us are still there right now, where we just feel so helpless. We depend on someone for everything. We, we can't get to and from the grocery store. We depend on someone to bring them to us. We can't pay a bill. We depend on someone to help us with that. And and it's a really defeating position to be in. And sometimes it's seasonal, sometimes it's a longer season, sometimes it's a lifetime of just being helpless and devastated. And we shouldn't have to stay in that position. 
We, we should have roots to hang on to, to climb out. But it's in that position of helplessness that we're able to see God move when we can open our eyes to it. And it's in that position of helplessness where God tends to show off a little bit to redeem us, to set us free, to show up in the 11th hour at the right time to fulfill the need, to heal the illness, to break us down and then build us back up. In our culture, we're conditioned to be hardworking, to save ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and and get things taken care of on our own. And so when we're helpless and unable to do those things, we feel like we are failures and we can't can't take care of all these things on our own. But our brokenness isn't where we're going to stay. Jesus performed so many miracles throughout the New Testament that we see documented where God pursues the people who are most helpless and helps them a ton. And and the story of their life just changes completely in that one moment through Jesus spitting in the dirt, making mud and healing a blind man. Through Jesus simply saying, take up your mat and walk. And now a person who couldn't walk can walk. That alone, the healing, the miracle opens doors for employment, opens doors for position culturally, opens doors for relationship and ability. And God's church reflects that as well as we see the power of the church kicked off through the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles and then spreading the good news right there where they were to the Jews who were together. And it's through the power of the church that he continued to be relentless. And we get to see how his passion for his people does not relent. As the church was started and 3,000 people came to know the Lord, in the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that they came together and they shared all things in common. So the people who had food were sharing food with the people who did not have food. The people who had need were having their needs met by the people who had abundance, whether that's financially, transportation, job, etc. The church came together as one team to fulfill the function, to help each other out. Their differences weren't what they dwelled on, but their unity in Christ is what they dwelled on. And once the church had positioned itself, it was time for the word to spread. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, is what Jesus said. And then you'll be my witnesses from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it starts right there in Jerusalem, which is where the Jews happen to be. And as the church begins to spread, Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5 into chapter 6 highlights some of the conflict that a church could cause. Because Some Jews are coming around saying, now that Jesus has done this, we don't have to do that. This is going to turn Judaism upside down. We we don't have to do these practices. Or we we still dwell on these practices. We're still going to pray. God is still God. He has provided a way out, and we're still going to pray and praise and worship. And so the the difference is the conflict is highlighted as we dig into Acts chapter 3 and see how it flows through and how God's people respond in terms of conflict. But it starts with a helpless man. So let's read Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man came lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. 
Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So God starts the movement of his church in the conflict with the former way with a lame man. He's at the temple every day, not because he walked up there to get some money. He had to rely on someone or a group of people to carry him from where he stayed to where he could potentially receive alms, receive uh, spare change gifts from people. So a beggar at the gate. And there's some cool things to highlight in this story that relate to us because he's not just there for the first time and then miraculously he's getting healed. He's there and he's known by his limitation. He's there and he's known as the lame man. And he's probably one of the beggars by the gate. He's probably one of the people that had a great need. And, and it, it even says that Peter and John had passed by him before because they've gone to temple to worship. They've gone in through this gate for prayer. And so they're getting ready to go pray at three in the afternoon, as was the Jewish tradition. Let's go pray. And so they're, they're heading up to pray. And for some reason, they see him. And he's seen and recognized for the first time. He's seen by Peter and John who have this power through the Holy Spirit and have begun this movement called the way of people who are being like Jesus and being united in their faith. And Peter, feeling the power of the Holy Spirit, speaks the power in the name of Jesus. And he says, rise up and walk. He, did, he does essentially what he saw Jesus do. Take up your mat and walk is what Jesus says. Peter says, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that, that's a big calling. This man, he's not just limping. He doesn't just have a hurt leg. He's lame from birth. So from, from the day he was born, he has been limited. He has been helpless and in need. But also, so we, we see in, in chapter 4 that he spent about 40 years being limited, being lame before this. And so not only has he been limited, he's never known how to walk. He's never been able to walk. He never learned how. And, sh and when you spend any amount of time not on your feet, not walking, your muscles atrophy. As we have people who have entered into seasons of illness, climbing out of that season of illness, climbing out of your rehab from COVID-19, there's a, a process where you have to relearn how to walk. You have to re-strengthen your muscles that you're not used to using for the past season of time. And so this is a big deal. They're not just saying, this is some guy who he fell down, hurt his leg a while back. This, this is 40 years of being limited and helpless and exhausted and walked past and looked over and looked down upon. And Peter says, look at us. 
I have no silver and gold. While that might be helpful to you right now for a season, if I had those things, I'd give you those things. He says, I don't have those things, so I can't give you those things. But what I do have, I'll give you. And so in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Kind of a a bold proposition. It's kind of scary, because what if he couldn't walk? And Peter's trying to cause this movement to spread forward the good news of the gospel, and he speaks power into this man's life. And what if what if it didn't happen? That's that's a big risk for Peter to take. But he says, "Rise up and walk," and he lifts him up by the hand, and he offers a hand up instead of a hand out. Gold and silver would help you for now, but get up. Let's walk. And he gets up, and he's walking, and he's leaping, and he's standing, and people see him, and they see he's different. So not only had Peter John walked past him several times, but the people there to worship, the Jews there to pray consistently, time and time again, had walked past him. Some of them have given him a handout. Here's a couple coins. Here's some silver. Here's some gold. Here's some food. They've they've given him the handouts, but now they see he's completely different. And so they began to gather. They recognized him, and they're filled with wonder and amazement, as surely you would be. As we've seen people's lives transformed, we're filled with wonder and amazement. No way is that the same person that I knew from this. Something's different. Something has changed completely. And so there's this process that we can pay attention to of how this order of events took place that we can copy and paste on our lives as we received power from the Holy Spirit, as we get to be his witnesses right here where we are and a little bit further out and to the ends of the earth, we get to follow this pattern that leads from someone being helpless, exhausted, lame, left out, looked down upon, to being seen to be given a hand up, and to be empowered to walk in the newness of life, to walk into a calling, to walk into opportunity, to walk through doors that they hadn't been able to walk through again because someone in the name of Jesus set them free from that. Someone in the name of Jesus opened that door for them. Someone spoke into their life with the power of the Holy Spirit and set them free from their pain, their shame, their addictions. And the very first thing that we want to highlight in all of that, in this process, is prayer. These, these disciples, these apostles, were active in prayer. When we see that the, the Holy Spirit first comes upon them, they were praying and something big happened. And now here they're on their way as they continued to pray three times a day based on their Jewish tradition. They're on their way to pray. And being in a state of prayer, being in the awareness of the Holy Spirit working in their lives, as they're prepared for the prayer, they see something different. They were heading that way and began to pray. And right after prayer is care. Something was different about them and something was different was about this man. So they cared enough to see him and they cared enough to speak power and truth and life into him. Because we, we can pray all day, but if we don't care to do anything with the power that's been given to us, we're not really leaning into the power of that prayer that we have. There are some days where all we could do is pray. There are some situations where all we can offer is prayer. And that, that takes a certain degree of care, but really caring 
takes it a step further. Peter said, look at me. So he cared enough to not only see this man, but to draw attention to this man to say, look at me. And he tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that God could use this moment in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up, get up and walk. And so he went from his prayer into the care. And then after all of this, they see a big change. And Peter recognizes that people are probably going to think that I did this. This is some sort of magic trick. This is something that I know how to do. That's something I've done in my own power. Something that might draw attention to me. And Peter shifts the focus to the third step, which is declare. Because if you're in a state of prayer and you really care, then you can declare what God is doing and what God has done. So we see in verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. So this guy gets up and walks. Peter, Peter lifted him up off the ground and the man is healed and he doesn't say, wow, Peter did a cool thing. This stranger lifted me up and I walked. He's walking, leaping, and praising God. And Peter continues to point him toward God. And the people are filled with wonder and amazement, which is our proper response to when we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. This should be our proper response every day as we interact with God's word. Would we be filled with wonder and amazement? One of the things we do in our family discipleship model here at Spring Creek is that we equip parents to bring faith into their home, to to start there, not rely on the church to raise the faith of your children, but lean into us as a supplement so that you can nurture the faith of your family. And one of the tools we use is uh, some some stories and some characters. It's It's an app called Parent Q. And the Parent Q app is tailored for your specific age ranges of children. And so every night I sit down with my four and a half year old daughter and we watch a story that's led by an owl named Ollie. And the purpose of that story is to highlight a story from the Bible and to fill my child with wonder. And so every night we sit down and and we sing the song. It's time to hear a story filled with wonder. We'll have so much fun learning together. And so we dive into a different parable, a different story, a different scripture And we both get filled with wonder. Like how wonderful that God would do that. How wonderful that he he could show off in that way. That I'm filled with wonder. And these people were filled with wonder because they saw that the Holy Spirit had moved in a big way. And so I want us to have eyes for wonder as we hear Peter explain, Peter declare what's happening right here. While the man clung to Peter and John, all all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, 
has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this, the, given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter is declaring here. He's saying, this isn't about me. Why, why are you staring at me in wonder and amazement? Like I could do this by my own power, by my own piety. But this, this man whom you see, this man whom you know, that you're staring at in amazement, he's been healed by his faith in the powerful name of Jesus. Because we receive power when we receive the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. And here's, I'm a witness to the fact that this man's life has changed, but I'm more of a witness to the fact that Jesus lived this life and died this death. And you turned him over to this death. You called for him to be crucified. When Pilate said, hey, this man has taken life. Would you like me to release him? Or would you like me to release Jesus, the king of the Jews? You, you turn him over. You said, release the murderer, crucify Jesus. And so you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. So Peter is pointing everything back to Jesus, declaring, yes, this is wonderful. Yes, this is wild. This is something to be amazed at. But let's remember what actually happened. I didn't just pull this man up and and hang on to him lead him around, show him, oh, look, he's doing a little trick. All I did was say, get up and walk. And his response to the Holy Spirit moving in his life, his response to the power of the name of Jesus of Nazareth was leaping and worshiping God. And that makes a scene. How many of us have have forgotten to make a scene to point back to Jesus when all of a sudden we're not helpless anymore? How often do we take the credit when all of a sudden we're not in a great need anymore? Yeah, of course I don't have that need anymore because I worked overtime. I got a third job. Of course I don't have that need anymore because I I took lots of vitamin C and I washed my hands a lot. We, We try to take the credit when really we should care enough to declare the truth. that The power of Jesus sets us free here. The power of Jesus' name has set this man free from his helplessness. And Peter cared enough in his state of prayer to declare that this was Jesus. And then he goes on to share the good news for these people who turned Jesus over for his death. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about God, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who <clears throat> all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and all those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first 
to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So in his declaring, he begins sharing the good news. The bad news is you're the one who led Jesus into this. You're the one who turned him over. You're the one who shouted, crucify him. And at at this point, he's surrounded by so many Jews who are in wonder and in amazement. and, And Peter seizes the moment. He didn't have a sermon prepared, but what he had prepared was his witness. Here's what I saw happen. Here's what I participated in. And and here's what I know now. Repent. Turn from your wickedness. Even even God told Moses, our, our father of our faith, God told Abraham, God told Jacob, that he's gonna rise up from us, one of our brothers whom we should listen to, Basically, God's saying, I'm, I'm going to, from this seed, I'm going to bring my blessing. And we see from Jesus' lineage that he came from this seed. He came from these fathers, and he rose up with these Jews. He grew up with some of these Jews. He interacted with some of these people. He showed them how to live a life of love. And he showed them the power that he had from the Father. And Peter's saying, all of this was going to happen, and God said it was going to happen, and then it did happen through Jesus. And again, he's calling them to repentance. In chapter 2, he said, so, repent. Everyone was filled in wonder. What should we do to respond to you guys all speaking different languages and telling us of the good works of God? He said, repent. And now, there's thousands more seeing, what should we do to respond to what happened to this man, the power that healed him, the power that set him free from his helplessness. And Peter says, repent. And he does this through telling his story. Here's what I know historically as a Jew, as a devout Jew, here's what I know about God's promises, about the prophets, about what God told us. From my history, here's what I know from what I've seen. I've been over here and now I'm over here. He's sharing his story. And so our response to seeing God move in a big way is to repent. Repent, therefore. Turn from your wickedness that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Christ that he appointed for you. So there's there's a promise here. Peter's basically saying, Just like this man has been healed by the power available, we too get to be refreshed, set free from whatever is holding us down. We get to raise up, just like God rose Jesus up from the grave, from death. He's calling us into that opportunity. And I love that he used the word refreshing because isn't that what we need the most sometimes? It is so refreshing to be able to do whatever you haven't been able to. It's so refreshing to be able to engage in whatever you haven't been able to engage in. As we feel locked down and shut out and prevented, it's refreshing to be able to go to a restaurant. It's refreshing to be able to go visit something that has been engaging and exciting to your soul after several weeks and months of being told, that's not safe, we can't do this. We're seeing little glimpses of refreshing. And here, he's saying, turn from your sin. Your, your wickedness. You guys are all good Jews here. You're here to pray at the temple. You're all obedient Jews. And obedient Jews know 
the weight of their sin. They understand that they're sinners, and they understand the weight of righteousness. So Peter's speaking their language, saying, you guys know. And what Jesus did is he came to refresh us, to, to turn us from our wickedness, to blot out our transgressions, so that we wouldn't have to keep doing all these offerings, sacrifices. We wouldn't have to go through the rigmarole of getting things done just to appease God. But what Jesus did already did that on our behalf. So let's turn from that and experience the refreshing that can come for your soul. And we see this pattern repeated time and time again. Prayer, care, declare, and share the good news of Jesus. Because when we're in a state of prayer, it puts us in our heart, in our mind, aware of the need for care. And when we really do care, then we can declare the good things that have happened. We can declare our story. We can declare what God is up to. We can declare some, some blind spots and some darkness in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We can say, I've been there, and I know how that ends. I know that that satisfies for a moment. I know that meets your need for a second. I know you're pursuing silver and gold. You're going to go sit there and ask the same people for alms. But what I can offer you is so much more than that. What I know about this story is that you've probably associated yourself with someone in it. You've had moments where you felt like Peter. Or you've had moments where you felt like John, where you just got to sit back and watch one of your buddies share the good news. You've had moments where you've been one of the crowd. Someone just watching, missing out on the actual miracle and feeling left out. Or someone in the crowd that's being accused of wrongdoing, even though you, you weren't there, you didn't yell, crucify him. You didn't actually say that thing, but now you're accused of years and years of sinful behavior, and you're associated with the crowd. And I know we can all put ourselves in the shoe of the beggar, the lame man, because we've been exhausted by help, how helpless we can be. We've been passed over time and time again. We've been in the church building, like the lame man was in the church building, carrying our, our hopelessness, carrying our disability, carrying our concerns, carrying our hidden sins. And we've been looked over time and time again. We've bored our needs in front of Christians, in front of other people who could meet our needs, and they've just looked past us and looked beyond us. And we've been hopeless. And as you relate there, you can see the good news of the power of Jesus, of Nazareth, this man who was the son of God, who came and he, he met the helpless, the hopeless. He was aware of how exhausting it can be to spin your wheels and try to solve this on your own. He's aware of how we pursue people instead of the creator of good people, how we pursue things instead of the creator of those things. And he meets us in that. So we don't have to get caught up in that anymore. So I want us to draw into two roles here. In your life, as you're the lame man, you can spot where healing is needed. 
Do you have people around you who are willing to carry you to a place where you might be healed? Who will bear the burden of your weight, of your baggage, of your hopelessness? Chances are, you don't realize that you have people around you like that. Because you've had too many years, too long of a season of being alone, being exhausted, being hopeless. Have you leaned into the power of Jesus to simply just take that next step? Whether that next step is a text message or a phone call, an email, a DM, simply saying, I need help. Because chances are people have have seen your need and, and glossed over it and walked past it. I see their need, but I'm on my way to a prayer meeting. I got to get into church. I got to climb over these beggars so that I'm not late for church. Yeah, that person has a need, but everyone has needs. I've got to take care of me. Let's take that first step and say, I need help. Let's let's see how the power of Jesus' name can actually meet those needs. We see it time and time again that people present their needs at the very same time someone is presenting an opportunity to meet the need. So as you relate to the beggar, I want you to consider relating to Peter and John in this story as well. You have received power from the Holy Spirit. And in that power, you get to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth. You get to be a witness by giving what you have. And you may not have gold or silver. And then again, you may have gold and silver. And that's something you can give. In the name of Jesus, I give my gift so a need might be met. In the name of Jesus, I give all of this that I have so that needs might be met. But maybe you don't have gold and silver. And Peter and John didn't have gold and silver, but what they gave was what they had. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit. I give you what I have. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So these men who are leaning in to their faith in Jesus as their Savior and Lord, were so in tune with their faith. They were leaning in so well that they were able to speak power and speak truth into helpless, hopeless lives. They were able to lean in and proclaim an opportunity for freedom where no one else was even willing to step in and say, look at me. So we have some Peters and Johns watching this time we have together, gathering with us right now. We have some Peters and Johns in this community, in this church. Are you tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit that you have received? Are you calling out sin and darkness? Are you stopping to pray, to care, to declare, and to share what you have? Because if we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there's still going to be times where we feel like the lame man, but we know we've got healing in Jesus. And too many of us don't see the times that we're like Peter and John, where we can stop and practice this, this rhythm, this, this structure of prayer, care, declare, and share, and be used in a powerful way to set someone free. And we think it's going to take too much of our time, too much of our money, too much of our effort. All, all Peter did was say, look at me, and he grabbed this man by the hand and lifted him up. It took probably 60 seconds or less. 
That's not a long time to care, but sometimes it's just that little burst of care that can change someone's life forever. And so, do you care? Will you declare? Will you present your gift? I have a $500 gift. I'm going to give it to change lives. Or are you just going to give your gift and say, God has given me more than I could ask for, more than I need. And so I give everything beyond that so that he might need a need. In the name of Jesus, I give my gift. Whether it's $5 or $5 million, he's using us to meet the lame beggars. And the other thing about being a Peter and John is being willing to see the lame beggars. There's hopelessness around us. Hopelessness abounds in this country. And it's not always going to present itself in someone who's sitting outside the church who can't walk. Sometimes it's going to present itself in someone who's extremely wealthy and very proud of themselves. And they've recognized that they are the solution, that they are the answer, they are the savior. Sometimes it's leaning into that friendship and showing them grace. Showing them that there's, there's someone who's provided more than they could ask for. And that they don't have to be the answer. They don't have to be the savior. Because Jesus already done that. So in our moments of being lame, would we see the power of Jesus' name? In our moments of being Peter and John, would we be bold enough to tap into that power of prayer, care, declare, and share? We have an opportunity right here in front of us if, as we've been pumping up Right Now Media, and we've, we've had hundreds of people sign up, and we could only begin to scratch the surface of what's available for us. But we have people who email me and just say, thanks for this resource. I typed in anxiety, and it gave me 15 different studies on anxiety, so now I know at least where I could start. I typed in parenting, and not only do I have resources to help me parent, but I have resources to help my children grow in their faith. And this is tapping into the power that the Holy Spirit has in us. He can work through technology. He has worked through technology. He works in a digital realm as well as in person. So we have these resources available to us where we can grow and be enriched and be fulfilled on our own and in groups. We can study God's word and see how it changes our life. But our, I think our ultimate calling is to recognize what we have so we can give what we have. Have we done an assessment on how much time we have left over at the end of the day, end of the week, end of the month? How can I waste less time to be a part of more change? Have you looked at your budget recently as times have changed? As, as your wealth has grown or been depleted, have you looked at where there might be extra that you might be able to be used in a huge way to speak power through your financial gift, through a gift of your resources? We all have more than we need if we could see it. So assess your time, assess your finances, assess your passion, because are you pursuing something that won't satisfy, or are you pursuing something that'll be a blessing that'll satisfy forever? Because in our moments of weakness, we can get up and walk through the power of Jesus' name. And when we recognize that we have received power already from the Holy Spirit, we will declare and share God's good news that will be used to change someone's life forever. Let's tap into that. God, we thank you so much for using someone to change our lives. 
for you speaking your truth in the lives of someone else who impacted our life so greatly that told us we could get up and walk. Thank you for surrounding us with people who would carry us to where we might have our needs met. Thank you for being enough for us. Would you give us eyes to see that? And God, as your church began and moved from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, we thank you for being willing to reach us wherever we are. As we sit hopeless, exhausted, and lame, or as we walk in your power, would you continue to draw us so close to you, so aware of you being at work, so aware of you moving in our lives. So would you convict our hearts to draw us closer to you, and would you use us in such a big way as we could speak power that comes from your name? And again, we thank you for the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. It's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. As always, we have an ongoing study. If you'd like to join us, we're going to put the link in the comment. It's a version Bible study, so you can get the version Bible app, or you can just pull it up on any browser. Now, this week, we have a, a three-day study on Acts chapter 3. It's 26 verses. We're going to spend three days just diving deep into it. As always, you can log on to Right Now Media as well. You can text CONNECT to 96995 and get that login information if you want it. If you type in Acts to the search bar, you'll get to dive even deeper with different theologians and different people who have loved God and loved his word enough to share it with you. So I hope that we would continue this conversation, that we dig in deep to what God would have for us in this. Thank you guys for spending time with us, and we hope to see you back Sunday at 10 or next Wednesday at 7. Thank you.